It's good to have the Swainies back in the house today. Joey, you were awesome last week too, man. We love you. <laughs> hey, so one of the things, my name's Adam, by the way, if this is your first time here, one of the things that we try to do here is we try to be real. Um, I just realized, like I was sitting there singing, sometimes, I don't know about you guys, but when I'm worshiping, I feel like God can like, I don't know, speak to me in a different way than in normal. So I'm sitting here and I'm, I'll be honest with you, I felt off all morning. I'm like, what is going on? Why do I feel weird? I should, this is my favorite day of the week. Like, why am I off? Uh, but I realized it's because I'm nervous. Uh, last week was so easy to preach. This week's a little bit different. Um, so maybe, I don't know. I think some of you, I don't know who, not calling you out. Maybe I could pick some out. But some of you need this today, like really bad. And you're going to fight me on it mentally. You're going to lose. Just telling you. But you're going to fight me. Um, so here's the deal. Like we're in this series called uh, Kingdom First. We talk about the kingdom of God. And as I looked at that like theme throughout uh, Jesus' ministry, there's this place where he talks about it. Uh, but it's in the context of something you would not expect because you, when you think kingdom, you're not, you're not thinking what we're going to talk about today. So, um, yeah, you'll, you'll see. And it, it's important, and I think some of you really need this. Uh, so I want to start by just um, showing you one of the most controversial things I think Jesus ever said. And he said a lot of controversial things, right? Like, uh, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. That's weird. Right? Like, can we just say, like, that, that's an odd thing to say. Like, I imagine moms probably were putting their hands over the kids' ears. Like, don't, actually, don't do that. That's bad. Right? And what happens when my other eye starts to cause me to sin? Am I that one too? Like, I don't know. Like, that's, um, now Jesus is using hyperbole, exaggeration to make a point, telling us that sin is serious and we should treat it as such. Right? But, still, the way he said it, kind of controversial. Another thing he said, uh, love your enemies. Wow. Okay. Like, I love my family. I love my friends. <laughs> But enemies, like, I'll even try to love strangers sometimes. But man, enemies, like, can we, like, change that? Can we, like, lower the bar a little bit? Like, can it be tolerate <laughs> or, like, not hate? Sometimes I feel like that. But no, love your, man, he kept the bar really high. And then maybe one of the most controversial things he said was, um, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will have eternal life. Jesus said that. Can you imagine, like, sitting at Starbucks, like, trying to learn from somebody and somebody saying, yeah, if you believe in me, you'll have eternal life. Can you imagine hearing somebody say that like in real life? That's crazy. The only way I'd believe somebody if they said that would be like if they came back to life or something, right? Like that's the only way I'd really ever believe that. That's a crazy thing to say unless you can back it up. But today, the thing I want to show you, I, I want to put it in like the top five most controversial things that Jesus ever said. Uh, what are the, the eternal life one, that's probably the, the most controversial, but this one's up there. Um, and especially in our day and age, especially, especially where we're at, especially in the cultural climate that we're in, especially with the way we kind of talk to each other. Um, so I'm just going to zoom in just in one little part, six words, Matthew 6, 25, do not worry about your life. Do not worry about your life. That, that's controversial, right? Some people would call that insensitive to some people. Some people would call that impossible, right? Same level as Jesus telling you not to breathe. <laughs> I mean, um, because some of us have accepted worry as an everyday part of our life. It's normal. And if we're being real, some of us, we like our worry. You, you almost wear your worry as a badge of honor. You, you say you worry because you care. 
And, and, and it's, it's hard to hear Jesus say, do not worry about your life. And, and just so we're clear, in case you guys are not on the same page as me, when the Bible says not to do something, it's called like a biblical command, right? It's old school, I know. But what it means is like to not do the thing. I don't know if you know that, but like when it says do not murder, what that means is don't murder, right? And when it says do not steal, check this out, you're not supposed to steal. And then when it says do not worry, we go, wait, what? <laughs> Isn't that weird though? Some of the things, some of these, controvers- or, um, some of these commands, we, we, we want to back up and ask, well, what do you really mean by that? You know, Jesus, is a little worry okay? Is some worry okay? Certain circumstances. But we don't do that with murder, right? Is a little murder okay? <laughs> like, just a, just, a, just a teaspoon of murder? Like, is that all right? No, we don't do that. But, but with this, we have a hard time. So he says, do not worry about your life. And, and, and about your life. Man, so it's first is don't worry. And then it's about your life. He, like, casts a really wide net there, right? Not just don't worry about your job, your future, or something like that. No, no, no. Don't worry about your life. It's kind of all-encompassing. So... I don't know about you, but when you read something like this, my guess is some of you want to wiggle out from underneath this, right? You're looking for the loophole. You're looking for the exception. You're looking for the asterisk so you can flip to the back of the book and be like, except for this, 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 and this, and definitely has to be my situation because there's no way this can possibly apply to me right now, right? 2020, okay. But he says, do not worry about your life. So at the very least, we need some clarification. Let's see what else he says in this verse. Verse 25, he starts, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or, or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. So he goes on to give some examples and here's where he loses some of us because if you're like me, I read that and go, well, I don't worry about that stuff, right? I don't worry about what I'm going to eat. I worry about where we're going to eat. <laughs> we, we were going on a date night well, a couple weeks ago and it took us like two days of texting to figure out where we we're going to go. It wasn't, the, the problem was how many gift cards and where are they all to, and you're trying to map it all out, right? I wasn't, you know, it's not that I'm worried I'm going to open up my refrigerator and there's not going to be anything in there. I don't worry about that. And clothes, I'm good. I'm good with clothes. Like, it's cold outside. Just need a lot of them, right? I'm not worried that, that I'm not going to have something to wear and I'll, like, die of exposure because of that. I, I don't have that problem. And, and I'm assuming neither do you, so maybe we read this and you go, maybe Jesus isn't talking to me. But I think if you... If you think that, you're missing what he's trying to say because what he just, the examples he just gave is food, drink, and clothes. Those are survival level, right? He just gave you an example of like the things that you need to live. And he said, don't worry about those. So what this is, this is an argument from the the greater to the lesser. Um, If you're not worrying about stuff you need to survive, needs, then isn't it obvious that you shouldn't worry about things that are less important than that, right? Isn't that what he's trying to say? He's saying, hey, if you're not going to worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, then you definitely shouldn't be worrying about silly little things that, that, that you won't die from, right? And I think that's, maybe that's surprising for some of us, because I, I don't know, you kind of have the idea that if Jesus said not to worry, he was definitely meaning like, you know, don't worry about the little things, right? Don't worry about whether your kid's good at sports. Don't worry about what kind of car you drive. No, no, no. Jesus here goes right to the top and says, the stuff that you would normally think you'd be allowed to worry about, no. Because don't you think if you went home one day and your refrigerator was empty, that you'd probably go to, you know, look up to heaven and go, so am I allowed to worry about this? Like, this feels like a, a, a level that I should be allowed to worry on. And Jesus specifically says, no, actually, that was one of the examples I gave. You're not allowed to worry about that. Whoa. And again, if we're not allowed to worry about survival stuff, then 
I'd say it's pretty obvious that we shouldn't be worrying about anything less than that. So, he goes on to give some illustrations. Jesus is really good at this. Verse 26, he says this. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? So he says, look at the birds. Observe them. They eat. They don't have a pantry. You know? They don't have a refrigerator. Um, now this, this is what's so cool about Jesus. He's first, he's arguing from the greater to the lesser, and then he switches, and now he's arguing from the lesser to the greater. He's saying, if God cares about birds, don't you think he cares about you? Like, that's his argument here. Hey, a bird can survive outside right now. And God cares about that bird. Don't you think maybe he cares about you? I was sitting in my office the other day, uh, looking out the window, like, super early morning, like, you know, the sun's just coming up. And uh, it was one of those mornings, it was like two, which is every morning, right? It's just they're all the same. Uh, and there was a red robin, or a cardinal, sitting on a branch right outside my window. Puzzle. His feathers were all puffed out, just sitting there. Could kind of see his breath, even though he's a little... And I'm sitting on my recliner with a blanket. And the thermostat's like right here. I'm like, I'm cold just looking at you, man. <laughs> And, and then this verse kind of comes to mind where God's like, hey, uh, it's, it's literally two degrees outside. That thing, like, weighs an ounce, and he's, he's got him. I don't know. What's he eating? It's, it's, everything's frozen. What's that thing? How is it even surviving? I don't know, but God's like, I got him. I got him. And if I got him, don't you think I got you? So it's supposed to be like this practice. And here's the thing. I don't think that you struggle to believe that God can do things in your life. Whatever the things you worry about. I don't know what your go-to worry things are. I don't know what they are. I'm guessing that you're not struggling to believe that God can do something about them. What you struggle with is feeling insignificant in God's eyes. You struggle feeling like God doesn't care enough about you to do anything about it. Like God's got bigger things to do, right? It's an insignificant thing. It's, it's, it's actually... Like God's got, you know, he's got some, you know, some stuff dealing, you know, he's probably down in Texas right now, dealing with stuff down there, you know, he's got, he's got other stuff going on, but my stuff, I don't, I just don't think God, I don't think God sees me. I don't think God notices me. That's really where your, your struggle is. And Jesus says, when you feel like that, go to the window and look outside, find the smallest bird you can find. And I notice them. So I notice you. And maybe I just felt like somebody needed to hear that today. You know, God notices you. Like, he sees you. He sees you. I, I was actually praying that you'd kind of feel that, like, like God's hot breath on the back of your neck right now, almost like he's, he sees you. It's, yes, he can do anything, and yes, he knows all the details. He's not just the star-breathing God of the universe. He's the God of the details, too. He sees you. He sees you. And that's what Jesus is trying to get you to see here. He sees the birds. He sees you. And then Jesus says something that it's like a question, and, and you have to answer this. You tell me. Jesus says in, in verse 27, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Nobody? Any? No? Okay. No. The answer is no. It's supposed to be an easy one. I know you're in church. It's like, God, Jesus, isn't that the answer? No. And here, the answer is just No. It can't. Matter, matter of fact, it's kind of an ironic question, right? Because worry takes away. Worry never adds, right? Worry, worry lowers the quality of your life and the quantity of your life <laughs> because every moment you worry, you're ruining that moment. And then medically speaking, when you worry, you actually shorten your lifespan. <laughs> so Jesus is asking kind of an ironic question saying, hey, 
all that worrying that you do, where you feel like you're accomplishing something, is it? And he's, he's saying, no. You can't, you can't do anything good in your life by worrying. I think this one's hard because it does feel like we're accomplishing something. Doesn't it? Doesn't worry feel like you're doing something? It almost feels like a job. Like you're, 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 you're spinning on the inside and it feels like you're doing something. But you know what it is? It's really... It's really, what I like about the way Jesus does this is he doesn't just say it's wrong, he also says it's stupid, right? And it's like, he didn't say it like that, but he did just say, hey, not only should you not do this, it's also dumb to do it. And um, I look at worry, the thing I try to preach to myself is that it's like prepaid fear. Like it's fear before fear is even necessary, fear anticipated, fear about something that may not actually happen. And, and so you know that credit card debt is bad, right? You know, I'm just going to assume you know that. That when you buy something on your credit card and then you don't pay it right off, that you end up paying way more for the thing that you bought than what was on the sticker. You know that, right? You know that if you end up just paying the minimum payment. That's a law now, isn't it? Isn't it like on your bill how much you're going to end up paying for things? Like it, you, I know you should read that. I know you don't want to, but you should read it. Because credit card debt is a stupid, stupid move. But worry, worry's worse. Can you, so just imagine with me. Imagine walking into Walmart. You got like 200 bucks in your pocket. You walk up to the cashier as you walk in and go, hey, I'm going to leave this with you. I might take something. Can you imagine doing that? Like I might walk out with nothing, but I just want you to have that money. That's, that's what worry is, isn't it? You're spending emotional and mental energy on something that might not even happen. You're prepaying for something that you're not even, you might not even have. So like I said, not only is Jesus saying it's wrong, he's also saying it's stupid. So, he continues, got another little illustration for us starting in 28. Uh, And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. So he says, look at the flowers, to which I say, Jesus, it's February. We don't have any of those. (laughs) Um, But believe it or not, I'm declaring this in faith, in a couple of weeks, you will actually see some. They're called crocuses. They're the first things that pop up. They might be under the snow right now. These things are very aggressive, man. They just, they just pop right up. And, and in a couple of weeks, you're going to be walking by a flower bed, and you're going to look down, and you're going to see some little flowers. And Jesus says, hey, stop for a minute. Look at that thing. Like, get that, crouch down and look at this little thing. Look at the veins and the petals. Look at, look at the way it's shaped. Just look at the beauty of this flower. And then Jesus makes this comparison to Solomon, which everybody listening knew, you know, Solomon's the richest guy to ever live. Solomon was the dude back then. Like, he had everything. And Jesus says, Solomon, in all his glory, had nothing on that flower. And then he makes his argument. He, he, he says in verse 30, same kind of thing with the birds. If God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So, same comparison. If he cares for birds, he cares for you. If he cares for the wildflowers, he cares for you. Don't worry about these things, even though they're necessities. Don't worry about them. If God cares about birds and flowers, he cares about you, he's got you. And then he ends that verse with like the most offensive thing ever, right? Because he just made a connection between your worry and your faith. And it was an inverse connection, right? He said, if your worry's big, <laughs> your faith is small. But if your faith is big, your worry's going to shrink. 
And I just want to, I'm offended for you. I can't believe Jesus said that. You should be <laughs> mad at him. I can't believe that, right? That's, I'm just the messenger here. I didn't say that. But he did, didn't he? He just said that your faith is somehow connected to your worry. This is why I was nervous to preach this. Because somebody out there is right now going, I can't believe that. I, I can't believe you say I don't have faith because I, I'm worrying. I'm just saying I didn't say it. <laughs> that was Jesus. But he made the connection, didn't he? He said that if your faith is big, your worry should be small. If your worry is big, then why is your faith so small? Now, let's let him finish. Maybe he's got more to tell us here. Uh, verse 31. So don't worry about these things, in case you missed the first time he said it. He's saying it again. What will we, what will we drink? What will we wear? Uh, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. So he's reiterating his command, saying, do not worry. But then he points out that Christians are supposed to be different. Right? He said, worry's normal. He's acknowledging that. Worry's normal. And I think we could all say, yes, worry is super normal. And then Jesus says, but you're not supposed to be. You're supposed to be different. You ever watch ESPN and they, hit like, they do an interview with a, an athlete and they're talking about like a guy on their team or another guy in the league who he respects? Right now it's really popular to say, oh, that guy's different. That guy, he's built different. You ever hear him say that? You totally watch ESPN. Just want to know if the Browns are going to get J.J. Watt. I'm watching it all the time. Um, but they say stuff like this, okay? They say stuff like this all the time. And, and what they mean is that this guy, man, he's just got something that other people don't have, right? He's, he's built different. And um, Christians are supposed to be built different. You're supposed to have something on the inside of you that is different than, than the rest of the world. Yeah, the rest of the world worries, and it totally makes sense that they worry, but it doesn't make as much sense that you do. He says, you're different. You're supposed to experience something on the inside of you that's different than the rest of the world. So yeah, it's normal. But I don't know about you. You look around and, and see what's normal. I'd say normal isn't working. <laughs> I'd rather be different, right? Let's, let's choose something else. We're supposed to be different. Now, he continues. He gets, finally gets to this verse that I've been working towards. The whole reason this sermon is even in this series. Verse 33, he says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. If, you, if we would have just read that verse, it wouldn't, you, you wouldn't have noticed that he, he totally is applying this to worry, but he, he caps off this mini-sermon on worry by saying, seek first God's kingdom. That, that somehow uh, putting God's kingdom first, focusing on God's kingdom, it's, it's going to do something with your worry. That a Christian, if you really do believe that Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sins, if you really do have the Holy Spirit living inside of your soul, then you're going to live with a different focus, with a different purpose, with a different perspective, a kingdom focus. And this kingdom focus that you have is going to produce a kingdom calm in your soul. So, Worry is such a huge topic. Um, I listen to like 
20 sermons on worry this week. And it was actually not helpful at all because there's so many different ways you can talk about this. Like a lot of times what pastors do is we dive down into like managing it. You know, like in the moment when you start to feel worried, here's what you should do, dut, dut, dut. And, and then you're, you know, we're trying to manage the worry in the moment. But what I really wanted to do today is back up to like the 30,000 foot view. <laughs> I want to get to the, to the root I want to I wanna get to the why the heck are you worried anyways, not manage it in the moment, but let's back up real, real far and ask the question, why are you worried at all? Because that's what Jesus is doing here. He's way in the sky saying if you lived your life with like a different worldview, if you saw the world different overall, you wouldn't have as many worries in the moment. It would, it would affect your moment to moment if you changed your overall perspective, your worldview. So I'm going to say something uh, more controversial than Jesus. It's crazy, actually. That if you really follow this verse, verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. If you really did that, if you have the right worldview, you're invincible. Invincible. You know, like Mario, when he got the star. You know, yeah, you're blinking. You're flashing all the colors. That's crazy, right? I just, I just said, if you, if, you, if you can see the world the right way, you're invincible. And, and that sounds crazy, and, and a little bit, if you, if you hear me wrong, it is. But um, let me tell you about a guy named Paul. In the Bible. Can I just tell you real quick? Just give you a quick overview of this guy's life. Paul lived an invincible life. And I'm not saying that Paul didn't have things hit him in the mouth. I'm not saying Paul didn't have trouble. But he was absolutely untouchable. So check this out. If you were Paul's enemy, just imagine being the Apostle Paul's enemy 2,000 years ago. If that's you, you're like the most frustrated human on the planet. Because... What they, they tried to beat him, right? They threatened to beat him, and then they did. I mean, they, they, they stoned him. They thought they killed him. They didn't. Um, he, got, he got 39 lashes like four times or something like that. They just beat the guy. You know what Paul's response to that is? The present sufferings of this world are not, not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed. That was his, that was his answer to that. Beat me. Okay, heaven's going to be awesome now. That was his answer. He was literally saying, hey, heaven in my future is, is so powerful in my mind, in my perspective, that this stuff is just details, you know? Okay, hit me one more time. Like, literally, that's how he thought. That, that somehow this future hope of heaven was like an antidote for the poison of the, the tribulations that he was going through. It just, it just kind of bounced off him. Yeah, okay, beat me. I'll just go to the next city <laughs> and do the thing. So then they're like, hey, you know what? We're going to arrest you. We're going to put you in jail for telling people about Jesus. And you know what he does when he gets to jail? Tells people about Jesus in jail. <laughs> he converts the guards. It's, it's crazy. He's singing hymns and converting guards in jail. So they, you know, you, you're trying to stop him, and, and it, he just won't quit. Then they put him on a boat to go to Rome to stand trial for all the stuff he's doing. And the boat shipwrecks on an island. You know what he does in the island? Tells the whole island about Jesus. It doesn't stop him. Even, even acts of, well, we'll call it Satan instead of acts of God. Acts, acts of Satan can't stop this guy. And then they say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to kill you. You know what he says to that? To live is Christ, to die is gain. Oh, you're going to kill me? You mean I get to go home? <laughs> Invincible. Like you can't, what, you, what can you do to him? You can't touch him in here. 
un untouchable. Always, right? Always. You, you, you say you're going to beat him. He says, no problem. Heaven's coming. You say you're going to put him in jail. No problem. I'm still on mission. You, you shipwreck him on an island. No problem. I'm on mission. You, you're going to kill me? Okay, I'm going home then. That's it. Nothing could shake this guy on the inside because he had a kingdom focus. He had a kingdom perspective. He had a worldview that caused him to just be unshakable. So here's the deal. I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm assuming you all think that means something. Um, so I look at that and I go, man, I want that. I want that. And then I thought about how you might think about that. And some of you might look at that and go, that's like the top of Mount Everest. You know, that's like so far away from me. I don't even know what to say to that. Like that, that, that guy looks like he's, he's living on another planet compared to the way I think and the way I am. And I, I just want to say I get it. Um, but what... What if you just started living your life where you just started saying yes to God and you, and you started to really preach to yourself that, man, I, I want to I wanna live for God's kingdom. I want to I wanna start seeing the world different, asking God to help you see the world different. And just step by step, you started doing that. And no, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be Paul next year, but I bet you'd start to change. I bet you'd start to change more than you can realize. And wouldn't, again, wouldn't it be awesome to have this? Wouldn't it be awesome that no matter what hit you in the mouth, you just kept coming? You smiled through the blood and just kept going? Wouldn't that be amazing? So I want to, I was going to say, I want to end with this. That would be a lie. Um, we're not ending. Um, but I want to I shift stories here on you real quick. There's a story over in Matthew. Just a little, it's a mini, it's, a, it's like this big, even on your Bible app, it's like this big. Um, Matthew chapter 8, and then I'm going to switch to Mark, because I want Matthew and Mark both write about this story, and they both have different details that I wanted both of them, so I'm just combining them. Um, Matthew chapter 8, starting verse 23. It's a familiar story. You've heard it preached a million times. Then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with the disciples. Suddenly, a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. So Jesus and his disciples get into a boat to go across a lake, uh, and on their way, a storm strikes. And not just any storm, it says a, a fierce storm, right? A fierce one. Now, the thing we miss uh, is this really cool detail that, that's in the original language that you don't notice when you read it in English. So uh, if you don't know, the New Testament is written in Greek. Uh, so Matthew and Mark both wrote this story in Greek. And the words they use, both of them, for a fierce storm is these, these words, megas seismos, probably. Megas, I know how to pronounce. I don't know how to pronounce the other one. Um, so me meg megas, you, you can probably kind of tell a lot, of, a lot of the Greek words, you know, our words have a root in them. So megas is mega. That's where we get the word big, right? Like it's, it's a mega storm. But if you look at the actual definition in, in Greek, it's, it's massive, great, intense, and it even carries the idea of it being authoritative. That somehow this storm like had this like authority as it came across the water at them. And, and I guess if you've ever been in a storm, you kind of feel like, yes, this storm absolutely has authority over me. There's nothing I can do about it, right? So it's this megas seismo. And then the, the word seismos, it's, it's, where it's the, the root word for um, seismic. So it's, it's kind of a, it, it shake you up. It'll, it'll mess you up. So it's a, it's, a, it's a huge, massive, authoritative thing that will shake your world up. That's what's coming at them. And I don't know, I've never heard of a better illustration than, than feeling, how many of you have felt like that in life all the time? Like, I get mega seismos hit me in the face all the time. So, here's what they do. Jumping over to Mark, 
Mark uh, 4, 38. Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. Mark wants you to know that Jesus had a pillow. Um, and the disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? So, two things. Uh, one's super right and one's super wrong that the disciples do in this verse. The thing that they do that's right, they wake Jesus up. <laughs> that's a good move, man, right? When the storm hits, hey, don't kick him. He's Jesus. You know. <laughs> Sir, Lord, things going down out here. The thing that they do is wrong is what they say. Did you hear that? Don't you care? Man, you want to hurt, you want to like hurt God's feelings? But what they do, I mean, you got to put yourself in their shoes and maybe you've done this before. Maybe you're like, I don't know. Like you look at your circumstances and you go, don't you care? And it's because it feels like he doesn't, right? You feel in that moment that maybe, maybe he doesn't. But I just want to say, I, if you're Jesus and you're waking up, like I, I just tried to imagine his face. And I just imagine it was Peter that says it. I don't know. It could have been anybody. It doesn't say it had to be Peter. Because um, Peter's the kind of guy who says stuff like this. I just imagine Jesus' face where he wakes up. And Peter says, don't you care? And Jesus just having this incredulous look like, dude? Like, I'd have, I'd have got up and got chest to chest with him. Like, we're going to let this thing go for a minute. We're going to have a talk right now, okay? I didn't have to be here. You know, he could have said that, right? Jesus, I didn't have to come down here. I could be above this storm. I didn't have to come to earth. I could have stayed in heaven. And by the way, I'm like a year away from dying on the cross for you, you fool. Tell me I don't care. Right? Jesus could have been a jerk. <laughs> but that is how we feel sometimes, isn't it? Now, coolest part of the story. Now, if it, if it was Peter, if it was Peter, I like the idea of it being Peter. I, I'm making it up. I don't know if it was or not. But this question, don't you care? Like, what if that's part of the reason you have anxiety in the first place is you don't know how to answer that question what if that's it like, think about that what if you could be more like Paul if you answered that question correctly don't you care God because can I answer it for you it's, it's yes he does so Peter years later years later he's had the boat experience he's watched the storm get calm spoiler alert sorry um in 1 Peter 5, 7, he's writing this years later. He says, give all your cares to God, for he cares about you. He, like, gets it now. He sees it now. He's not going to ask that question anymore. He knows. And look at the connection he makes. It's between worry and knowing that God cares for you. Hey, if you really get the idea that God absolutely does care for you, and he's got a bigger plan than you can see, and he understands more than you possibly could imagine, then you know you don't need to worry because God's got it. Don't you care, Jesus? Don't you care? One of the most convicting Timothy Keller quotes ever. I don't have it on the screens. I'll just read it to you. <laughs> he says, God looks at the anxious and says, I tore my son to shreds for you and you're afraid I won't give you what you need. 
I mean, if you need to know how much God cares, just look at the cross. He's here for you for that reason. Maybe you need to fight for that in here to remind yourself of that. Now, look what happens in the story. This is so cool. Verse 39 in Mark. Uh, When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and, and said to the waves, silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Now, you knew that. But it's, it's the word great calm that's really cool. So in, in the Greek, um, you know the word for great describing the word calm. You know the word he uses? Megas. Same word he used to describe the storm he's using to describe the calm. Now that's crazy, isn't it? He said, this is the city. Now, it's weird that the translators translated it fierce storm, great calm. Should be fierce storm, fierce calm. Which is weird because you don't usually describe calm as being fierce, but this is the same word. But it doesn't like fit for us because, I don't know about you, but I don't normally think about calm as being an active thing. I think about calm being a passive thing. We talk, I talk to my kids about this all the time. Actually, it was so funny. My son rebuked me yesterday. Um, they all got up. I t- anytime they have a day off school, they get up earlier. It's the worst thing in the world. But I was being a complainer. I was sitting in my, my chair trying to work, and they were all sitting around me, you know, which is awesome. The blessings of God sitting before me, being noisy and annoying. <laughs> and I said, yeah, guys, I just wanted some peace. And my oldest son, little jerk, goes, Dad, I think you're compu- confusing quiet with peace. And I said, shut up. <laughs> little jerk. But I don't think about calm as an active thing. But in the story, this calm is described as being active, right? It's not that the storm leaves and then there's a calm. It almost describes the calm as rising up to meet the storm, right? The fierce storm and then the fierce calm comes and pushes it back. What if that's the kind of calm you have? What if that's the kind of peace that Jesus can provide in your soul? No, that doesn't mean the storms aren't coming. But what if, what if in here, the calm could push back? The calm would be active and actually more powerful. Calm is not the absence of a storm. It's the presence of Jesus, right? And that is it. That's, that's the source of your calm. Your relationship with Jesus, creator of heaven and earth, the one who died on the cross in your place for your sins, conquered sin, Satan, death, demons, and storms. He's the source. You could could add that in here. So worship team, why don't you guys come up here. Dream with me for a minute. As the worship team's coming up here, dream with me for a minute. I want you to imagine something. What if you lived with a kingdom calm inside of you? What if you lived like Paul? What if you had that just going on all the time? What if you had that? What if you were different? Then all the people you know that aren't Christians, what if you were different? What if every time something hit you in the face, you kind of smile through the blood? You're like, all right, all right. What if you were? What if you were different? What would that be like? What have you really thought? What have you really believed like Paul believed that to live is Christ, to die is gain? It actually does not matter what hits me in the mouth. And if it, if it all goes down, 
I just get to go home. Like, what if that was really the way you lived? And not even afraid of death, because always you look at death as, this, as the entryway into the kingdom that you've been longing for anyways. Man, what if you were different? Because we have to ask Mosaic, and this is a big for our church, because our church, we care, we, we want to seek and save the lost, right? We want to we be fishers of men. That's our thing, right? How can we reach a worrying world if we worry just like the world? What if your greatest witness to the world isn't some built-out apologetic of Christianity? What if your greatest witness to the people in your life is a kingdom calm, an unshakable kingdom calm in your soul? You don't got to convince them all this stuff about the Bible. You just got to live that out. That'll, that'll be worth more than some academic exercise through the Bible. If they look at you when there's a storm all around you and you're completely calm in here and they go, what is up with you? I want that. I want that. That would do it. And just imagine that. Start taking steps towards that. Change the way you see the world. Be like Paul. Pray with me. Jesus. Oh, I want it, Lord. I do. I want it. I, I hate that I go up and down with the storms. I hate that my mood can get shifted with one phone call with one thing. Lord, I, I don't want that. I want to live with a calm that comes up, a fierce one that comes up inside of me from your presence, from your voice. Lord, I want that for everybody in this room, everybody watching online. I want that for them too. I pray that we would take steps towards that, Lord. I pray that we would start saying yes to you. I pray that we would start to see the world through your lens, that we would seek your kingdom first. A kingdom focus, a kingdom priority that produces this kingdom calm. We need it, Lord, because I really do believe that the world would be drawn to it. They would, they would want to know what in the world's different and that, and that people's would, oh man, they would, they would come to know you because that would be the way you draw people to you. We want that, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.